Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, so I'm here this week in Prague, Czech Republic, which has been great. It's the first time I've actually been here. And um, we've finally managed to corner Chris O'Brien. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. We, um, I was saying the other day, uh, we uh, had sessions on at the same time. And I think we were talking in the evening. I was like, there's no way they're going to come see me. Everyone wants to come see you. Like, I want to come see you. When I first started out my career in Australia as a consultant, you know, your was uh, Andrew Connell's, Tobaginski's were like the blogs that I taught, self-taught myself, SharePoint development. And so it's great to kind of finally get you on the show and just say thanks for all the work you've been doing over the years to share your knowledge with the community. I mean, in my opinion, it's like, that's why you do it as an MVP. Like, that's why you get the badge is because you do reshare your learnings and other people benefit from it like me yeah well it's uh, it's great to help people um it's 12 years now for me is it really I've been an mvp and probably a little bit longer for for blogging and it's kind of interesting to keep it going for, for that duration and, and think about how to make it sustainable but i still enjoy it a lot so what's what's the url that people should be going checking out if they aren't aware of who you are so it's sharepointnutsandbolts.com and so have you always done sharepoint in that aspect is that how did your career start out and kind of tech so i'm actually kind of an old guy i'm hitting mid 40s now i started out in ibm AS you look 400. like 32 though <laughs> i don't you. know what your secret is i'll pay you later <laughs> um so I, I did start out in a- ibm as 400s feels like a long time ago now but no graphical user interface or anything like that but sharepoint really started for me actually with content management server 2001 encompass resolution before that so yeah. around 1999 and uh, that was the entry point for sharepoint for me and then just came up through the different versions but you know on the development side thinking about .NET development and how to extend the platform and, and meet client requirements and so and that's still what you do today but i guess it's broadened from just being about sharepoint that's right and i think that's the case for most people isn't it yeah. so uh, maybe you've got a background in one technology or another but the breadth of Office 365 these days means that we need to we need to be broad, uh, maybe a T-shaped person, so deep in, in some particular areas, but broad across the stack. And the solutions we build now, they encompass SharePoint, Teams, Office add-ins, lots of use of the graph, and you know a whole array of technologies now. And so you, you work for Content & Code in the London, right? That's right. And so you work on like major projects in, in the UK as teams that go out and like build solutions for customers? Or? Yeah, we have a variety of clients. A lot of them are in the enterprise space. So maybe they're headquartered in London, but it's actually a global organization. You know, a couple of things I'm working on at the moment deploying 55 intranets for a a very large oil company uh, that's based on our product fresh so that's kind of interesting thinking about digital security requirements they're delving deep into our graph permissions which you know i kind of have a different thread with you about and you know working with a variety of organizations that have pretty complex needs often they'll be mature with their use of office 365 and they're really trying to get the most out of the platform and so you you have always kind of had that balance where you try and do things in a repeatable way, I guess, because of the teams you have. You want to re- reshare that knowledge across the teams that are working with different customers. And we were chatting around a particular scenario around um, Power Apps. Mm. And I was kind of talking about like similar experiences with the InfoPath days when I was a consultant in Australia. And it was amazing to see the similar patterns come up where it, it's kind of the merging of the paths of 
power users that can go build business applications with zero code or no code or low code um, and developers and kind of that handoff period where it's like, well, I've got this really amazing business application in Power Apps, but now I need someone to help me with the whole notion of how do I put V2 of this thing out without breaking production? That's right. And so I guess Power Apps in some ways is the latest incarnation of this. But, you know, more broadly, it's been interesting to me, you know, the last two or three years where I've watched my development team adapt to the Power Platform. These are guys that pride themselves in elegant code and using the latest React hooks techniques Mm -hmm. and so on. Um, But ultimately, the Power Platform has found its way into our toolbox because there's some scenarios that with the best coding ability and customization ability in the world, you'll never develop, for example, a mobile app that captures images from the camera, uh, uploads them to SharePoint, um, does some other processing, and is great that you can push it out to a 5,000-strong mobile workforce. If you tried to do that with Xamarin, for example, you would never do that in a handful of days. Mm-hmm. that you can do with power-ups. Right, right. So it's found its way into our tool set. Right, and so that you would, with the solutions the customers come ask you for, it is something that you would go, is this going to be a fit for power-ups or do we need to go kind of the custom dev route? That's right. The two conversations that we have a lot is um, on the forms and, and sort of user interface side, should this be a power-up or should this be a form built with SPFX and sort of PMP controls and so yeah. on? Or should this be an Azure function or should it be a flow? And we have that quite a lot. Those two conversations happen a lot in the team. And so if you pick the first one around like um, Power Apps versus, you know, form inside of SPFX, what kind of decision points make the difference? How does it flick from one to the other? So often we might have some requirements where the, the need is for the form to do some custom things where, for example, there's some cascading behavior. Maybe I select something here and I actually need to do something complex as the next step. You can do a certain level of this with Power Apps, and you can certainly do cascading dropdowns, for example. But often we need, um, I select this thing from a dropdown, and in the next step I need to do a type ahead search or something a bit more complex. Or, you know, I, I need to build a complex form UI that shows and hides different elements and has, you know, some nice transitions or effects that are starting to get a little bit difficult with Power Apps. Yeah, and I do remember like the info bar thing was similar, right? Like they had certain amounts of things you could do with creating views and hiding and showing views to transition between them, but it always felt a little bit overworked and killing the designer when you got to that point. That's it. And, you know, we've built some power apps that really do get quite complex in their formulas just to get the UI, you know, being a really nice, rich, modern UI. And it's the same with the Azure functions and flow consideration where sometimes we'll do something in flow and it's actually quite complex. And in day 10 of development, you've got this massive flow that you kind of need a big widescreen monitor for. Right, right. And you've got really nested conditions and you think, hmm, this would have been a lot simpler in code. Yeah, and I guess, you know, there's always a case that unfortunately when you go down one path, often there isn't much reuse between the two. No, switching at that point is difficult. So, you know, that's, that's where you have to take care and understand the landscape of both to make the right decision. And is there a world, I don't think there is with Power Apps, but definitely a world in Flow where you could just call out to a function and do a bunch of your logic there, but the majority of it could be in the Flow, right? There is, and we do this quite a lot. So it's almost like the Flow becomes an orchestrator and you might call out to... Um, to an Azure function and do this in several places. The challenge with this now is licensing. 
because to do that, you need to use the HTTP action, which is now a premium action. So that's uh, curtailed our use of this pattern a little bit. And we now just have to be a bit sensitive to you know, what is this going into? What licensing requirements do we have? And then you start to get into understanding how the flow is triggered, whether it's by many users or just a new item in SharePoint. And they have different licensing requirements. Right. And I get that's a similar scenario for if you call a Microsoft graph using the HTTP action, is that? Yeah, activities, H- right? HTTP action. Yeah. yeah. You've got the HTTP and HTTP with AD. Yeah. And, and just for people listening, because I do get that we've had this question all this week, actually, the, the way that it works right now is obviously you can call the graph with the HTTP action and do anything on the graph. But there are particular actions for things like calendar and files um, we essentially, I call them like shrink wrap things that essentially calling the graph under the covers, but they do particular actions. Um, there are discussions with various different teams that don't have those shrink wrapped actions right now, um, which don't have that requirement of the licensing that we're trying to work out how we can go away and get the teams to go build those um, because that would then allow you to do that without necessarily requiring that the, the license, which we know is quite prohibitive. That's right, because ultimately we need to call almost anything in the graph. Yeah, but yeah. to do it, you know, we, we're still within the confines of Office 365, really. Mm-hmm. We're not reaching out to Azure or some other premium uh, data source. So, you know, we need the ability to be able to call just about any endpoint on the graph from the Power Platform, but not hit licensing. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the other thing that Daryl is working on right now, actually, um, in our team, is the notion of, uh, right now, Power Apps is supports Open API version two. Mm. It doesn't support v three, and our Graph API spec um, doesn't currently have in it the permissions required for each operation. So once those two things are done, um, potentially the Power Apps team, the Flow team, can go away, connect to our Open API v three definition with the permissions, and it'll automatically be able to use the wizard to say, "Ah, oh, you want to call." Uh, me slash messages you're going to need mail.read and inside of the application do that consent and have it all working right that um, would be very and nice. so that's going to help with the experience that we don't have right now um, in power apps and flow so it's just a little bit of an update we call them big rocks or themes internally and that's daryl's big rock starting mm-hmm. well he started already but we're trying to get it complete by june yeah hurry up daryl yeah <laughs> He doesn't listen here, I'm pretty sure, so we can just blame it all on him. But um, yeah, it's been interesting to see how much demand there has been a, been around that. Um, I'm, it's definitely market-wise, it's showing that you know they're viable solutions with Power Apps. Um, yeah, I mean, growth is rocketing, isn't it? If you ever you tune into the stats, you see that it's increased maybe four times in, in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, growth has quadrupled. And I think it will continue. Clearly, Power Platform is our our modern way of building no-code and low-code solutions. And having been around the Microsoft stack for the last 10 or 15 years, I think this one is going to stick. Yeah, yeah, and it is interesting internally because they are not in the M365 org. It's not in the Office org. This is being done from the kind of the Azure division underneath James Phillips. And, you know, it's driving a lot of usage of Azure services like Azure Functions. Because a lot of these apps are calling it in the background, but um, you know our team see a lot of usage on the graph for it too, and so it's exciting to see like they really are doubling down and investing in this stuff, and got a lot of coverage in the uh, Ignite keynote. You know, Charles is up there on stage doing the demos, who's the CVP, I think, of the whole thing. 
Yeah, and lots of cases now, like Power Apps being able to slot into Teams easily. Mm -hmm. So I think that will boost growth as well. Yep. But when I think about our client base, you know, there's more and more uptake of Power Apps and, and the Power Platform in general. And our projects, either we are being asked to help build a certain Power App, or sometimes the client organization, they've started something and they maybe run into some, some trouble and they want some assistance with it. Or in some other cases, they've got some reasonably broad usage and they've got a community of makers, but they perhaps need to take things to a greater maturity level and, and need to understand more about how things are being used. Yeah, and there was a customer story you were sharing, I think, over a few drinks that we may have been having after the conference the other day um, with a particular customer where they kind of hit that boundary of like, you know, users are actively using this, but, you know, we're getting to this point of maturity where how do we put out that next version? Can you talk a little bit about that scenario? Yeah. So this is one of the clients I'm working with at the moment. I've been there sort of a day a week for quite a few months now. Um, they're a really interesting company. It's a very uh, high tech company. They are a supercar company, uh, amongst other things. And they have quite interesting usage of the power platform. So they've got a community of makers. Um, they don't act as much of a community yet, and they don't really know each other, but they are building power apps to a certain extent, power automate stuff uh, right now. So we came in because IT became aware that maybe the organization was heading towards tricky ground. So they knew that some critical apps were being built with the power platform, but they had no real awareness so we came in and we started to look at the problem and we realized that we need some way of IT discovering these apps and understanding their criticality level, uh, what they connect to, maybe what service accounts they use, um, what level of risk they, they might pose in terms of IT operations, who the owners are and so on. Um, and there's a couple of ways that you can address this. So there are connectors um, in the sort of, power platform admin capability that help you understand what power apps are in your environment and what power automate flows are there too. And there's a thing that's open source called the Power Apps Center of Excellence Kit. Now this is a useful thing because it uses those connectors and it pulls the data into Power BI. All right, so you can get dashboards. Exactly, or... you start to get some nice dashboards. So one of the things that we did is um, we wanted to implement the Power Apps center of excellence kit we found that we needed to tweak it in a couple of places so out of the box um, it's a great open source solution but it might not be a turnkey thing that can solve all of your problems we wanted to change it so that instead of storing data in cds we store it in sharepoint lists the challenge is for every user that you want to it, it comes with a form where the, the maker can supply some details about their app to it but that's based in CDS, and now all of your makers need a license just to, to use that form, and, and we didn't want that. So we re-engineered it a little bit, and we tweaked the way it connects to the Office 365 audit logs, and we've essentially got our own fork of it. But it's a, it's a great baseline, and we've now got a, a really good dashboard of Power Platform usage within the organization, and lots and lots of our clients are interested in this. So when we showed the... Uh, the supercar company, we, we sort of stood up the dashboard, we did our tweaks, we did the implementation work. And the first meeting where we showed them, the dashboard shows things like, so you have um, you know, something like, I think 150 power apps wow. in the organization, uh, over 450 flows. 
and you've got 38 new power apps this month wow. and 72 new flows. And we showed them and they were like, holy cow, Yeah, yeah. this is fascinating. And, and was could, there a good distribution of people authoring these things? So it's centralized in a, a small number of makers yeah. we found. So we've got some makers that have created 10 plus power apps. Yeah, yeah. But we can see from the launches that some of these power apps are really critical. And, you know, we did some digging. Um, we presented the dashboard and, and you know, that's a, a really fascinating story. And it's gone up the IT leadership and everybody's now understanding what is happening in the environment more. But then as part of our work, we wanted to do some other things too. So we created a Yammer community to bring these guys together to actually start talking to each other. Ah, interesting. And sharing best practices. And we created a Power Apps Knowledge Center that's got loads of um, information about good practices and what we need Power Apps makers to do. Uh, to operate successfully in this organization. And we published lots of policies. And, you know, to a certain extent, we, we worked out what those policies should be, but we think they're sensible. And so now we've got a community that's functioning a little bit better. And we started to use our data a little bit more to discover some of the critical power-ups that are in use in the organization. Right, right. And, you know, here's where it gets interesting in some ways. So... They're a, a super high-tech company, lots of really talented engineers, and they have a power app that's underpinning the supercar production line. Um, wow. And one of the makers, he's done a great job producing a really nice power app. It's got quite a lot of screens in, and it connects to um, a bunch of different data sources, but predominantly using SharePoint. And they have huge touchscreens down the production line, because these are hand-built, these cars. Mm-hmm. And the, the process is ultimately starting out with a carbon fiber monocoque piece, and then you start screwing things to it. How do you know whether you've screwed bolt number 2057 or whether you're up to 4,390? Right, before you go on your pee break or your exactly, lunch break exactly. or your smoke break or whatever. <laughs> the answer is a power app. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it's on these So they big have screens. them projected on the big screens yep. and the full touch screen. And they're touch screen. Um, and that's how the production line team. Interesting. Sort of, yeah. So how does he author that instead of interest? Do they, I mean, he must be authoring it on one of those screens because resolution wise on a laptop, it's well, going to be no, quite different. Well, pa- no, generally does a good job of scaling. So yeah. you have to choose between phone and tablet layout. And right. In this case, it would be tablet. That's mm-hmm. the one that would make the most sense. Um, but, you know, we, we started to work with these critical app makers Because one of the things that you do encounter with the Power Platform is that it's great to get started and it's great to um, build a quite powerful app that can become really critical to the organization quite quickly. Yeah, no Um, joke. But maybe, you know, things haven't followed the same ALM process that that might have happened with traditional code. Right, where you're checking in code, putting it through a build server and releasing it to very different environments. Right. So, you know, what we've, as part of our work, what we've helped these critical makers uh, get to is a point where they've got more maturity and everybody has a, a test instance of their app that's in a different environment. And sometimes it's a different Office 365 tenancy. But we've done work to perhaps pick up the 50 SharePoint lists that are supporting this power app and the 20 flows and perhaps use some PMP templating in our SharePoint expertise to pick up those pieces, move them to another tenancy, move the flows over, and move the power app over and hook things up again, rebind things. Ah, uh, interesting. Okay. And now we've got a test instance because previously, in some cases, uh, we discovered very critical apps that didn't have a test instance. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's that. And they're, they're changing the, the you know the touchscreen data collection, which means it impacts the schema of the SharePoint list. And that's, that's right. right. Yeah. You know, so, so you know there, there wasn't necessarily the right level of control and governance. Um, and you know, speaking to a couple of the makers there, you know, they did run into trouble where perhaps they had an impact on the production line just from publishing a bad version of the Power App accidentally. And then it needing some time to get to the bottom of the problem. Right, because right. the, the dependencies in SharePoint may not be updated with the new column types and different things. Yeah, there's quite a few moving parts. And yeah, when you yeah. don't have dev, test, UAT and production, right. you know, the chances of an accident happening are higher. Yeah, yeah. It, actually, it's interesting because obviously there's a lot of partners here in the expo hall where they do do like those administration, content management, you know, compare to site collections and mm-hmm. move changes between them. Um, that's going to become kind of critical to a maker in the future, I would imagine. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, I don't see any tool out there that does a good job across a SharePoint list schema, um, 20 flows and a power app. Right, right. There's no holistic way of doing that, really. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, certainly the the power apps COE kit and the work that we've done, it helps you get great visibility into these apps. And but what's it's critical. not going to make it super easy for a maker. That's right. You still need some expertise, really, of the, of yeah. the moving parts to to be able to put this kind of well-governed multi-environment system in place. And I can imagine some of these forms end up having 50 or so, they're clapping for us already, like, uh, 50 or so SharePoint lists like tagged into them in some cases, right? Yeah, and there might be 30 screens in the app and lots of different yeah. controls, uh, a bunch of things happening in terms of offline processes. Um, so, you know, it's important for organizations to get a handle on this stuff and just understanding, you know, what are my top five power apps in mm-hmm. terms of usage? And what data sources do they connect to? Is it just SharePoint or do they connect to SAP and Workday or something else that's outside of, outside of Office 365? And if so, what accounts are being used? You know, this is really important stuff to get a handle on. Right. And I think right now, you know, lots of organizations aren't necessarily in a good place and there's, there's quite a lot of interest in this. Yeah, and it's almost like the different makers almost become shadow IT in a way, right? That's it, yeah. And, you know... Without taking steps to to understand what's out there, IT are somewhat blind to this. And we find that there's an expectation from the user community that, well, hey, I've been using this app for, for three months. And mm-hmm. when I call IT to raise a ticket yeah, about it... they don't it, know anything about it. Yeah, IT don't know anything about it. But the user has this expectation that I'm going to get standard level support for it. And so in terms of like versioning a Power App, it's been a while since I've looked at it. What, what is there a file like... You know, at InfoPath, it was like an XSN file mm. and you could, essentially that was a zip file you could un, uh, extract and look at all the components and then, you know, they're all XML files that you could, and XSLT files that you could diff to see what's changed. It, what's the construct for Power Apps of that notion of me working on an app versus then publishing it to an environment? Yeah, so it's a zip file um, and you can do some diffs at that level, but you'll invariably have some differences in there between environments, you know, right. usually due to connections and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And we've now got something that does help with sort of multi-authoring, you know, almost like team development of a Power App in that we've got components so you can split out a Power App so it's no longer just one file. Uh, okay. And now that does help with team development and, you know, parallel threads on one app. So right. the things combined together but could be developed in, in parallel. And then the components live somewhere that the app can pull in. Yes. And so if the component updates, the app just grabs that new component. Exactly, yeah. Interesting, okay. And so with your teams, I mean, 
I know some of the guys that work for you and they're extremely pro dev. They're code. They write lots of code. How have you found that transition of, you know, things that would have traditionally been code uh, versus mouse clicking and dragging components onto a, um, a, a dashboard, I guess? Yeah. So I would say initially there was some resistance in, in some parts of the team to, yeah. to sort of taking on the power platform because, you know, these guys like to code and they like to solve problems right, and right. build things. But ultimately, you know, some of the use cases just mean that you can build something effective so much quicker. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that resistance couldn't last longer. Um, I still joke that I can tell if somebody's building a power app or a flow because there's more swearing than usual (laughs) that comes from that that desk. It's a good indication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But ultimately, you know, people people like to learn. Yeah. And, you know, there's all sorts of cool things that you can do and new techniques to learn. So it's... People are equally happy now, I think, to, to use a, a low-code technique or to build something SPFX on and the graph. that ecosystem of um, makers, are there any prominent like people that are blogging about this that are, like you've learned from along the journey that you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's some great content now. Um, you know, Todd Baginski's done some great things around defining standards for power apps and so yeah. on. Um, and there is a whole community of makers that, you know, on Twitter, there's a hashtag for Power Addict, and there's some great stuff that come out comes out of those guys. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I think things are now in quite a mature place with the Power Platform in terms of guidance that's out there. You know, a great place to start might be the Power Apps uh, coding practices that that Todd Baginski wrote. Yeah, yeah, we've had him on the show for other things, but I know he's he's every time I see him, he's he's trying to convince me that Power Apps are the way to go on, mm. on everything. So it's been interesting to see him because obviously he came from the SharePoint world as well and That's has evolved right. over into here and yeah, working and, with lots of customers in America. And Todd is a, a proponent of some interesting techniques in Power Apps. Like he's done some cool things around um, building a user interface in Power Apps where there's a hidden screen. Um, and what you actually do is you use that to set out some controls and then dynamically build some HTML from that and use that as a different screen that the user actually sees. Wow, okay. And now you can you can sort of benefit from Power Apps in terms of the ease of construction, yeah. but you've got a really rich, well-presented UI that's almost more like a, a web you UI. You can tell that it was Power Apps in the first exactly. place. Exactly, yeah. And so, you know, going back to the, the SharePoint roots, uh, Shax, who has been in the SharePoint engineering org for a while now, worked on SPFX and is now kind of driving a lot of the SharePoint Plus Power Apps scenarios, how have you seen that in your customer base? Like what kind of scenarios do you see that being lit up like on top of kind of document libraries and custom lists? Yeah, so we, we have quite a few scenarios where the right thing to do is to customize the list or library form with Power Apps, um, you know, to provide a better interface onto the new or edit form in SharePoint. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do quite a lot of that and that's a core use case for Power Apps. Um, there's some nice stuff coming in the you will get some additional ability just in plain SharePoint where I can reorder lists and uh, produce some kind of rich formatting that happens on the new or edit screen without needing to go to Power Apps. And that's useful too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like many things. There's a spectrum of different approaches and you need to establish which is right for you. You know, as an example, if you've got a Power App with SharePoint combination, you could customize the list form with Power Apps and that's yep. your UI. Or you could build a separate standalone power app, a canvas power app, that talks to that same SharePoint list. Both of those are equally valid options. Right, which would mean you could have a mobile story for a, a list that's a, 
tracking incidents or something like that yeah and in some cases we've we've sort of got both on the same sharepoint list or library mm -hmm. you know so one might be used for the desktop view but the canvas power app is used on the mobile experience and how does that work for a maker in terms of uh is it as i'm building the form if i've got it that form um list connected to a sharepoint list as i create new form uh input whether it's a drop down or a, a text box or whatever, is that automatically going creating those columns in the SharePoint list it's mapped to? Like, what's that flow look like? So typically, you'll need to add to the list itself first. Okay. But then you, the control is available to you. It's almost like there's some binding between the Power App and the SharePoint list. Right. And there's an area in Power Apps when you're doing the creation that you can, there's a card that gets created for you that's basically got every field in the SharePoint list that you select. Yeah, okay. So that you have sense. control, um, and you can then move things around and build the form experience that you want. And then the other thing, again, it's been a long time, there was a web version of it, and there was a like a downloadable app, a little yeah. bit like Power BI. What's the story there? Like, where do, your guy, where do the guys and girls work on that? So things have centralized on the web version these right. days. Okay. And I think that's, you know, typical scenario where Microsoft can iterate on that more quickly. Yeah. And they can bring new capabilities to the toolbox or the, the, maker, right. uh, the maker capability that they couldn't easily do or couldn't do as fast to the because desktop Because they control version. the deployments and the versioning a lot yeah, easier exactly. than people like me who've probably got perhaps the original thing running on a... Desktop yeah, machines still. V1.12. Likely not going to work on any Power Apps yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that are out there in the market now. But, you know, there's all sorts of things that come with Power Apps, like the maker really needs to republish regularly mm -hmm. because the action of doing that uh, does some updates in the back end of Power Apps to take account for new things in the Power Apps uh, so service. So they won't benefit for them unless they do push That's the, right. So uh, as, we, you know, as we surface our governance solution, uh, every maker gets a form that they need to fill out to supply the details of their app to IT, yeah. as in the details that we've not been able to gather through the back end. Mm -hmm. We can gather the connectors, the service accounts. Right, but who you know, the, the owner launches. is. And, yeah, we, yeah, we often want more details. Yeah. Um, and we also want things like a mitigation plan. Mm -hmm. You know, what happens around your app if there's a problem? Yeah, who do we contact? Is yeah. it escalation? And, you know, assuming the whole app just cannot be used, um, what is the fallback plan? And, and where does... Where, does IT in that scenario for this customer, do they, can they have access to all of the Power Apps to go edit the, edit them? Or is it kind of like, it's on my laptop and uh, that just got stolen? Yeah. Like, how well, does that work? I mean, the Power App itself is always stored in the service, in the okay. cloud. So, you know, if you have maker rights to it, then you can edit it. Right. But all these Power Platform solutions and low-code solutions, it becomes an IT strategy question of who should deal with that problem. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and who, who the accountability lies with. Right, right. So in this case, um, the organization has decided that accountability really lies with the maker. But that's why, you know, we still need them to supply a mitigation plan, uh, lots of details about the justification for their app, the criticality of it, mm -hmm. um, you know, perhaps just some paragraph description of its purpose and the main screens. So the IT have that awareness, but they're not guaranteeing SLA level support. Right, 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 right. It's kind of clever you do the Yammer community too because it gets them 
a good easy way to communicate with them all up right that's right and you know what we do is we send um some emails to the overall community of makers yeah our our data identifies them yeah but we now can sort of send an email to them easily that's really smart um and you know we're trying to bring the thing together and and generally just apply some governance get things to a more mature state and on those power bi charts can you see like the mail of everything to see how many users are touching that and yeah so we see um we see how many launches and this is being pulled through the Office 365 audit logs. Yeah. Um, and it's that that enables us to sort of slice and dice and mm-hmm. see the top power apps for the organization. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, every time you go into an organization and set that thing up and put the data in front of them, mm-hmm. um, I think it's an interesting conversation because it's a whole load of visibility that wasn't there before. And by default, are these things just on so that all users in a Microsoft 365 tenant could be doing this without IT knowing? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, usual Microsoft thing. We're, we're trying to sort of push adoption and, mm-hmm. and consumption. So these things are on. Um, in some cases, you know, a, a specific Power Apps or Power Platform license might be needed depending on what kind of apps are being built right. and what so they connect to. if you're calling HTTP yeah. actions, you're going to need that license for your user. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's quite easy to build an application that becomes really ultra-critical mm-hmm. for a division or a department um, that is still just within the Office 365 space and doesn't require a Power Apps license. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we built a lead generator, actually, in, when I was at Hypervis using a Power App. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was just capturing all the leads as we were having discussions at our booth into a SharePoint list. And then after the fact, we went through that SharePoint list and had columns for, you know, we followed up with those people and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's incredible what you can do very quickly with that. That, you know, if you said pull one of our engineers off of that, you know, the actual product to go build that, you know, it's going to take a long time, whereas it's literally an hour end to end to get that thing live. Well, that's right. That's why growth is rocketing. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I think the Power Platform does have a rich future. Um, you know, even though I come from the development background, I'm I'm a strong believer in it. And I think you know, as long as Microsoft make the right decisions in terms of mm-hmm. licensing and the general landscape of it, it, it will continue to grow, and it'll be it'll be even bigger now in three in three years than it is now. That's awesome. Well, look, I really appreciate you taking time. I know you've got a session this afternoon. Um, it's great to see you. And again, thank you so much for the work you do in the community. I, it's just like really helped me in my career personally. And I know it's definitely helped lots of other people as well. So um, definitely a true, true MVP um, out there in the SharePoint and Power App space now, it sounds. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks, mate. It was and, good and, to and tell me, did you get a ride in the supercar? Uh, so that's actually not as easy to engineer as you might imagine. So you walk past them every day and essentially you walk past like 50 million pounds worth of cars every yeah, day when yeah, you're yeah, on site yeah. there. And just around the streets, there's lots of them being test driven and so wow. on. Uh, but, you know, they've got they've got a uh, workforce of three or four thousand people and getting a ride in a car isn't the simplest. Brilliantly distracted on that side. Yeah, it's cool. a special place. Good stuff. Thanks, Jeremy. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 